Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Good, good morning or evening or afternoon to everybody that's listening to Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. Today, we are focusing on the renin, angiotest, and, oh, I already buggered that up, Matty. RAS. The RAS system. This is the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, and this is the system in which the kidneys use to control our blood pressure. Yes, the kidneys control our blood pressure. But before I ask you, Matthew, why do the kidneys control our blood pressure, I would like to just talk about ourselves a little bit and just say, if you want to ask us a question or follow us on Instagram or Twitter, please do. We are at GU Biosciences. That's G-U-B-I-O. S-C-I-E-N-C-E-S. That's for both Instagram and Twitter, at GU Biosciences. We also have a YouTube channel. It's non-monetized. It is created for you so that you can learn more about anatomy and physiology. We go through nearly every system in the body, and what we do is we focus on certain pieces of it for about 15 minutes at a time, and we discuss all the systems. So please, go to our YouTube channel, which is Biological Sciences. Matthew, yeah. why would the kidneys be in control of blood pressure? Ooh, that's a good question, Mike. Yep. Is that, did that come just from you? That came that just from... Listener? No, that came from me. Uh, well, the kidneys' primary role is to regulate our blood volume, our fluid volume, our fluid balance. Uh, within that, or osmolarity, within that is your electrolytes 
and to get rid of waste products, which we spoke about in the kidney overview podcast. So that's the primary function. So considering it gets 25% or a quarter of your blood volume, to do that filtering and excreting job, it would need a good blood flow mm. or a good blood pressure. So that would be my guess. If it, yeah. has, a, if it has a rubbish blood pressure, it won't be able to do much for you. Won't be able to get rid of the bad stuff. Won't be able to regulate your electrolytes. And if your electrolytes are out of whack, you'll be out of whack. Oh, so you're right. You're totally right. Uh, like you said, in last podcast, we stated that we the kidneys get 20% of the cardiac output. So cardiac output's five liters a minute. 20% of that's one liter a minute. Of that one liter, we end up filtering 120 mils per minute of that blood, which is about 180, if you round up a little bit, it's about 180 liters a day of filtrate we make from the blood. Now, that's really, we need to maintain that, Matt. We have to maintain 100 liters, 180 liters of filtrate a day. That's what we need to do. Because what the kidneys do is they filter all this stuff and then they evaluate it. It says, okay, how much sodium do we have? How much potassium? How much this? And ammonia and amino acids and glucose and all this type of stuff. And then it throws the majority of it back and excretes what we don't want to keep. And so the kidneys need to maintain this because if our blood has too much or too little of any certain things, we can be in a lot of trouble. So the kidneys need to maintain the blood volume and also the blood concentration of certain solutes, electrolytes, compounds. Does that make sense? does indeed. Okay, so we need a certain blood pressure coming to the kidneys. Now, the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system sounds big. We also refer to it as the RAS system. has a couple of terms involved, a couple of words. Renin is the first one, angiotensin is the second, aldosterone is the third. Now, these are different chemicals or hormones that are released via the kidneys and other parts of the body. And they are released in that order. So the first thing that's released is renin. Now, we need to talk about how renin is released throughout this system. Now, again, the whole purpose of RAS is to maintain blood pressure and to maintain blood volume. Pressure, volume. Pressure and volume. Keep that in your head. So the question then is, what happens if a patient comes in and their blood volume is dropping? Why would they have that? Well, they could be bleeding out. It could be hemorrhage. It could be the fact that maybe they have, they're in anaphylactic shock and they've got peripheral vasodilation. And so you've got this odd distribution of all this blood to parts of the body where tissues are being underperfused. Mm-hmm. So any, anything that could potentially happen where a patient's blood pressure and blood volume is dropping. Okay. That means the kidneys, that means their blood pressure is dropping. They're not filtering enough stuff. Mm. So the kidneys don't like this. So they'll do whatever they can to bump it back up. So, first thing is this. If blood volume or blood pressure has dropped, the afferent arterial, which we spoke about last podcast, is that small artery that's coming into the... Glima- uh, into so this the, is now the nephron. This is now the nephron, which okay. is the filtration unit of the kidneys. million per kidney. One million per kidney. The afferent arterial, which is coming in, turns into a glomerulus, which is a capillary bed. Yep. And that's encapsulated by the nephron. So... Just pause one second. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. So coming out of your aorta is a blood pressure of 120. By the time it gets down to your renal artery, which let's just, I'm just guessing 100 millimeters of mercury, let's say. By the time it comes into your nephron, which is the afferent, we're looking at 
60? Yeah, between 50 and 60 millimetres of mercury. Okay. That's what we call the hydrostatic pressure in so, the glomerulus. That's the so pushing the pressure. So the pipe coming into the glomerulus is looking at 55 millimetres of mercury. And that pipe that enters the glomerulus, or the start of the nephron, is the afferent vessel. The afferent arterial. And around that vessel is a cluster of cells that are called... Not sure. Smooth muscle cells? What, weren't these the ones that are potentially going to release renin? Oh, you're talking about the juxtaglomerular cells, the granular cells. Granular cells, yeah. Yes. Or the the, the renin-producing granular cells. Yes. So, okay. when your blood volume drops or your blood pressure drops, the blood that's coming into this afferent arterial, that pressure is going to drop. Mm. Right Now, in the walls of these afferent arterioles, we have these specialized cells, like you just said. And they're called juxtaglomerular cells, also called granular cells. Yep. And they are baroreceptors, which means they measure pressure. So when the blood pressure drops, that stimulates them to release renin into the bloodstream. Yeah. First thing. So that's one stimulus for renin, dropping blood pressure. So basically just the pressure coming into the, pu- the pipe, coming into the nephron. If that pressure in that pipe is low, there's a group of cells that are around that pipe that pick up that low blood pressure and just drops renin straight into the blood. Perfect. Okay. All right. Another stimulus of renin, because there's a couple of things that stimulate renin's release. Once that blood... So if that blood pressure is dropped again, right? Blood pressure in the afferent arterial is dropped. That means when we get into the glomerulus, the area that's going to be filtered, if blood pressure is dropped, do you think filtration is going to be at the normal rate or reduced or increased? So instead of 55 millimeters to get good filtration, let's say now you're at... 35. Okay. So pressure's dropped there at the glomerulus. So you wouldn't have a great deal of filtrate coming out of the blood vessel there. So the pressure is low. Mm. So the flow rate's low, mm. which means that once that filtrate has moved into the nephron and the tubules, it's moving through far more slowly. Okay. Now this is important because we very briefly touched upon last podcast that at the tubules, we reabsorb 99% of that filtrate. 99% of the stuff that's filtered into these tubules are just thrown back into the body. Mm. Okay? Now, at the... Now, remember... it's not only water, but also, say, sodium and chloride and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. And so, this tubule... So, the nephron, remember, is like a snake head. That's the capsule of the nephron. That's the snake head. And that's encapsulating the glomerulus. And then the body of the snake are the tubules. And there's different aspects of these tubules. There's one that's closest to the snake head, closest to the capsule. It's got the proximal convoluted tubule. There's one that has a big long loop. That's called the loop of Henle. Mm. And then the next one is called the distal convoluted tubule because it's furthest away. And then there's the collecting duct, which drip, drip, drips urine down into the uh, minor calyx of the kidneys. Okay. So what we're saying is, at the proximal convoluted tubule, that's where we, we reabsorb 65% of our sodium back into our body. Okay. okay? At the Luper Henle, that's where we, we reabsorb 25% of the sodium back into our body. And at the distal convoluted tubule, that's where we reabsorb around about 10% of the remaining sodium back into our body. And what about just water as well? So water is going to be reabsorbed at the proximal convoluted tubule and at the descending aspect of that loop. Okay. Of that loop of Henle. And we're talking about sodium reabsorption at the ascending aspect of the loop of Henle. Okay. So what I said was 65% of sodium reabsorbed back into the body at the proximal, 25% at the loop of Henle, 
ascending aspect specifically, and 10% reabsorbed at the distal convoluted tubule. Okay. So this is important because we just said if blood pressure's dropped in the afferent arteriole, filtration rate has dropped, and the mm-hmm. movement of that fluid has slowed down. Now, if, if something's moving through a pipe more slowly, that gives it that pipe more time to be able to reclaim more stuff back into the body, mm. which means that the proximal convoluted tubule, we're reclaiming more than 65% of sodium. At the ascending aspect of the loop of Henle, we're reclaiming more than 25%, which means by the time we get to the distal convoluted tubule, we're going to have less than 10% of sodium to reclaim, uh-huh. right? So sodium concentration has dropped at the distal convoluted tubule. Does that make sense? So I think it's also chloride and sodium. Chloride and sodium. Yeah. I just say sodium to make, to make it easier, but basically salt. You don't like salt. chloride, do you? You don't like, I don't like, you don't like negative things. I don't like... Uh, <laughs> that's great. Don't like negative things. Don't like you. Um, <laughs> so... We reach the distal convoluted tubule and a sodium chloride, our salt levels have dropped, right? So there are cells now in the distal convoluted tubule. So this snake has come back on itself and it's, let's say, its tail end, if you will, uh, is back close to the glomerulus. That's a great point. It's really hard to talk about and have people sort of picture it in their mind's eye. But if you think of the afferent arteriole then turning into a glomerulus ball of yarn with the snake's mouth wrapped around it, which is the capsule, Mm -hmm. and then the whole body of the snake winding its way through, think about the tail of the snake going all the way back to the afferent arteriole. Yeah, back up to the, near the glomerulus. Near the glomerulus. That's the distal convoluted tubule, the tail of the snake, and the afferent arteriole is that vessel coming in. So... This is a great point, Matty, because the, the, the cells that are in the distal convoluted tubule, they pick up that reduced sodium that's now happened. And chloride. And chloride. Thank you for bringing chloride back in. They pick that up. So these are chemoreceptors, right? They're picking up chemical changes. So they have little, little tongues. They're, they're lapping up the salt. Like or a lack, ho- of, lack like of salt. A lack of salt. And they go, there's not enough salt here. I need to do something about it. And now, they release... Well, because these macular denser cells of the distal convoluted tubule are in very close contact with the juxtaglomerular slash granular cells of the afferent arteriole. Or the, the renin-producing granular the, cells. Yeah, the renin-producing granular cells. I think cells. it's important to say, because it does get a bit confusing, juxtaglomerular just means, juxta means next to, yeah. and glomerular, glomerulus. So you have this cluster of different cells here, which are sometimes referred to as the juxtaglomerular apparatus, which are just all these different kind of functional cell groups yes as a group so you have the ones that produce the renin at the afferent which is the granular renin producing cells and then you have these macular denser cells which are clustered around the distal convoluted tubule and they're the ones with the little tongues and when they they feel that there's not much salt or chloride left they will then release a hormone is it a hormone yeah they release adenosine yeah adenosine chemical Adenosine basically can go back to the afferent and cause it to vasoconstrict, but also help affect the um, release of renin as well. Perfect. And it's interesting here, just with adenosine, because I think at the top of my head, coffee or caffeine is an adenosine blocker. Okay. And so I think caffeine blocks the adenosine release here, and therefore that's why caffeine has a degree of diuretic effect which has in part been disproved a little bit oh why do i urinate all the time when i drink coffee that's i think explain that phenomenon i yeah i I don't know if it's a phenomenon 
but I think it's a phenomenon, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you shouldn't be urinating tell, out tell five, to six, five to six. Yeah, well, stop doing it on the floor. <laughs> so the juxtaglomerular apparatus is the afferent arterial and the distal convoluted tubule in very close contact with each other with the granular cells that produce renin and the macular denser cells with the tongues that are licking up the drop in sodium, which means the second way that renin can be released is by a drop of sodium and chloride concentration in the distal convoluted tubule. Mm. Okay. The third way that renin can be released is through our fright of flight system. Oh, sympathetic? Sympathetic nervous system. Okay. What... Isn't, didn't, don't you say it's the, the four Fs? Fight, yes. fright, yep. flight, yep. and... Making love. Yes. Okay. So that's the sympathetic nervous system gets activated in times of stress to maintain homeostasis. So, think about this. When blood pressure drops in the body, your carotid arteries... Matt, you're the anatomist. Where are the carotid arteries? I think carotid means... Oh, uh, here we go. It's always a... Oh, I think carotid means... it's The etymological <laughs> basis of carotid is an ancient Greek term, which means the bowel of a whale. I'm not sure it's bowel of the whale, but what, I think it does, does it have a, uh, a connection to um, fainting or passing out. Ah. So if the early physicians applied pressure to your carotid, which is about 80% of your blood flow to your head... So it's in your neck. You would faint... Gotcha. And they could possibly do some kind of that's quick, why if you watch, quick surgery. Well, that's why if you watch the UFC, right, and you see those guys getting choked out, they they fall asleep very quickly when you wrap your arm or leg around somebody's neck. Because if your brain, think about it, you're doing heaps of exercise, your heart's pumping, 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 your, your body needs all this blood to flow out. If you stop the carotids, you're stopping blood flow, the majority of blood flow, going up to the brain, what, 75%-ish of of Mm. the blood flow going to the brain? All it takes is for your brain to miss out on a couple of uh, stroke volumes, a couple of pumps of that heart for it to just shut a couple of parts of your brain off to maintain function and functionality. Okay. So they fall asleep. Okay. So blood pressure's dropped, as we said. that's the carotids. Thank you. So they have stretch receptors, baroreceptors. Whereabouts in the carotid? Barrow means pressure, like, <laughs> like the barometer. That's right. Like listen to the weather person. Yes. If they say the barometer's rising. Barry, Barry-rometer. It's going to be a nice day. Yes. Uh, the Between the carotids, so the external and internal, there is a sinus or a body, and that would have some stretch receptors as well as chemoreceptors. But so if case, your blood pressure drops, they'll pick up a drop in blood yeah. pressure. And then they'll send signals to the central nervous system. Yep. Which stimulate the sympathetic nervous system from the brainstem. Yeah, and I think it also, if you massage... Actually, I probably shouldn't say this on air. But I think there is a treatment for supraventricular tachycardia where there is a carotid body massage and that can cause bradycardia, slowing heart rate. But yeah, you don't, don't do, do that, that at home because you might cause a stroke. Yes. But there is a treatment. That is a treatment, I think. Yeah. Anyway, don't massage your carotids... It's not a good thing. Don't do it. Don't touch it. So, <laughs> blood pressure's dropped. Yeah, so they pick up the low blood pressure. They say, we don't have enough blood fluid Going to the pressure, brain. So, we need to do something about this. Stimulate so sympathetic. Speed up heart rate. Speed up or vasoconstrict in some areas. Yeah, and but so the sympathetic outflow that's mm. coming from the... which which Where's the sympathetic outflow coming from? 
For the kidney? No, 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 just for the sympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic outflow oh. from the spinal cord. Thoracolumbar. Okay, so you got the thoracolumbar outflow. S- some of these are going to go to the Thoracic kid- lumbar. Thoracic and lumbar regions. How's that compared to the parasympathetic? I'm testing that now. Parasympathetic is craniosacral. So in your head, well, brainstem <laughs> yeah. and uh, sacral. sacral. Okay. So this sympathetic outflow, some of which are going to go to the kidneys mm-hmm. and some of which are going to go to our granular cells, those that release renin. And it stimulates certain receptors on these granular cells. B1, I believe. Beta 1 receptors, which are also found on the... Heart. The heart. <laughs> <laughs> the heart. So that's how the sympathetic nervous system, it'll stimulate the heart to beat faster and contract harder through these beta-1 receptors. And also these beta-1 receptors located at the granular cells are going to release renin. So that's the third way. So the th- three ways to release renin is a drop in blood pressure, and w- that will directly release renin through the granular cells. A drop in sodium chloride concentration in the distal convoluted tubules, which then talk to the granular cells to release renin via adenosine. And then the third way is sympathetic nervous system innovation directly to the granular cells via the beta-1 receptors. How's that? A lot. So now, should we focus on, now that renin's released, what's it going to do? So renin is now dumped off into the blood. It's dumped. So now it's in your systemic blood supply. Yep. Now, it will then come into contact with another product within your blood called angiotensinogen. Where'd that get released from? The liver. Okay. Well, the liver produces that protein. Can I tell those of you who are listening that are students and may potentially be doing some med or nursing or paramedicine or whatever exams, if you if there's a question in your exam that asks you something about uh, uh, protein or enzyme or whatever it may be that ends in O-G-E-N, that tells you that it's stored and inactive. That's what it's telling you. If it ends in O-G-E-N, it's not doing anything. It's stored and inactive. And if the question also asks you, where is this produced? 90 to 99% of those things that end in O-G-E-N are going to be stored and produced in the liver. So angiotensinogen means it's the stored and inactive form of what, Matty? Angiotensin. Just oh. chop off the O-G-E-N. It tells you what it is. And the angiotensin should tell you what it does in its name. Okay, what's angio mean? Artery or... Vessel? Something like that. Arterial vessel? Yeah, arterial vessel, like an angiograph. Um, Angio, and what about tensin? To tense it. To tense it. So, tighten it up. Constrict it. Constrict. So, So that's one part of what the angiotensin system will do. So, renin is what cleaves this angiotensinogen. Yep. Cleaves off the O-G-E-N into angiotensin... One. One. So, an angiotensin one is now active. Okay, now... Where? What's in the blood? Systemic. So, so from my understanding, Mike probably will correct me here, but angiotensin 1 does really nothing at all. We like to say in the medical field that angiotensin 1 does sweat FA. Okay. Not much. Um, and then it meets up with an enzyme. It's a converting enzyme. Okay. So it wants What's to, it convert? Once it convert 1 into 2. Angiotensin 1. Into 2. Into angiotensin 2. two. So, two. this enzyme is called? The converting enzyme. So, the angiotensin converting enzyme. Or ACE. ACE. And where's that released from? Well, there's controversy here. It's generally been thought that it comes from the lung vasculature. Yep. Which I still think is 
I think, held strong. Yeah. But I think it's also there's other vasculature in the systemic system from the endothelial cells. That's correct. I think, as far as I'm aware, from my research, it's still showing that the highest percentage of ACE that's been released is coming from the lungs, but you do get it from mm. other parts of the body. And I think a clinical point to that is, again, I could be incorrect here, but from one of my readings, this is where its association is. When you take ACE inhibitors, so these are blood primarily hypertensive blood medications or blood medications for high blood pressure, ACE inhibitors, so they block this enzyme, a common side effect is a cough. And so it's thought that there is kind of like a um, interaction here with blocking this enzyme and producing, I think, bradykinin, which is an irritant or it irritates a cough reflex in your lung. Ah, interesting. So it's very common to develop a cough using these medications. Okay. So ACE, angiotensin converting enzyme, the prills. The prills. So once ACE has come into contact with angiotensin 1, as by its name, angiotensin converting enzyme turns it into angiotensin 2. Now, angiotensin 2 is what does all the stuff. Yep. Now, angiotensin 2 does a number of different things. So now angiotensin 2 is now in the blood in its active form. Normally it's not. It's just... Not there, but because we have renin, before we ha- be meeting with angiotensinogen, one with ACE into two. So now we have all this angiotensin two. Floating through the systemic circulation, let's talk about what angiotensin two now does. A couple of different things. First thing is angiotensin two is recognized as being a generalized vasoconstrictor. So that means it's going around to a lot of your blood vessels and just telling them to constrict. So think about a hose. You constrict the end of a hose, you're going to lead to that fluid building up and increasing pressure. That's perfect, right? Because the stimulus was a drop in pressure. 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 So the stimulus to release renin was the drop in pressure. Mm. And now we got angiotensin 2, which is a generalized vasoconstrictor, constricts blood vessels, increases pressure. That's one thing. Second thing that angiotensin 2 does is it travels. So in your mind's eye, picture the afferent arteriole, the glomerulus, and then the efferent arteriole. The Angiotensin 2 travels to the efferent arteriole, the one on the other side of the glomerulus, tells it to constrict. What do you think that means? If blood's coming in the afferent, in, going to the glomerulus, out, and then tries to go out of the efferent, but you constrict the efferent, yep. the blood's going to pull up in the glomerulus, right? Would make Behind sense. It. And then that's going to increase pressure at the glomerulus, yeah. increasing glomerular filtration rate. Yeah. That's exactly what we wanted because the kidneys had a drop in blood pressure. They mm. wanted to increase it. So, boom, next tick. However, just to be slightly picky here, All right. the uh, angiotensin 2 does cause vasoconstriction on both sides, but it's more dominant on the efferent. Far more dominant on the yeah. efferent. And so you will have... But, question... Why would you, if you've got low blood pressure, why would you want to increase your GFR? If you have low blood pressure? Yeah. Because you want to maintain filtration rate. You want to filter out any metabolites that are building up. You want to filter out if you have excess electrolytes in the system. But I mean, like, if you've got a low blood pressure, why would you want to bother filtering? What do you mean? Your body's still functioning at a normal rate. You're still producing byproducts at a consistent rate, whether your blood pressure is high or low. I know, but I just thought... If you're bleeding out, why bother? Because your kidneys don't know that. <laughs> your kidneys don't know that you're you're hemorrhaging. Mm-hmm. All right. Does it make sense? Sure. <laughs> Matt's not convinced. 
No, but I think um, it's important to note that, you know, if a person was to have a really sharp drop in blood pressure, like they go into real hypovolemic shock, that the kidneys would kind of somewhat shut down. Oh, totally, because yeah. the sympathetic nervous system also goes to the afferent arteriole and tells it to constrict. And the whole reason why the sympathetic nervous system will tell the afferent arteriole to constrict is because it's, it's in a fight or flight situation mm. and says, well, I don't need to designate 20% of my blood to the kidneys for filtration. Mm. I'll designate that 20% to the muscles so I can run away or fight or whatever I need to do. But the purpose there is the sympathetic nervous system is acute. It should be very, very short term, right? And the sympathetic nervous system doesn't know that you're bleeding out and this mm. may ch- take your life. That's right. So it's evolved to be, a, you know, a handful of seconds is how long the sympathetic nervous system should last to save your life. So that's why it's okay with sh- blocking off the afferent arteriole. Short periods, yeah. For short yeah. periods. Okay, so just to recap, the angiotensin 2, which was the one that was made by ACE, has now, so far, we've sent it to the vasculature generally, yep. and it's caused vasoconstriction, yep. bumping up your blood pressure. Yep. It's also gone to your nephron, and it's done a bit of vasoconstriction in the, in the afferent, but much more in the efferent. Yeah, which has led to blood pressure building up in the glomerulus and increasing glomerular GFR. filtration rate. Yep. yep. Was there another one? Or yeah, there's heaps more. So, angiotensin 2 travels to your adrenal gland. Okay, Where's ad, ad renal. Yeah, so what's ad mean? On top of? What's renal mean? Kidney. So it's the on kidney gland. And the adrenal gland releases a whole bunch of stuff, one Including of which... adrenaline. Adrenaline is one, and then mineralocorticoids. The most important one for today is... Aldosterone. That's right, aldosterone. Now, aldosterone is a mineralocorticoid, so it... Plays around with the minerals in the body, which we're specifically referring to here as sodium. Mm-hmm. And so, when angiotensin two goes to the adrenal gland, tells it to release aldosterone. Yeah. Aldosterone goes back to the nephron, mm. specifically goes to the distal convoluted tubule. Now, question for you, Michael. Yes, Matthew. Is aldosterone a fat or water soluble hormone? I'll take fat soluble for 300. Yes, correct. Thank you. Now, so now aldosterone is in your blood. Yeah. And it's going to go uh, all over your body, but predominantly it's going to go to your DCT, is that correct? Distal convoluted tubule, correct. Okay, and aldosterone will be taken up by the cells in the DCT. Yes. And ultimately what it wants to do is to help to reabsorb salt out of your filtrate back into your blood. Why would it want to do that? If so Remember, the stimulus is the drop in blood pressure, drop in blood volume. Mm. Why would aldosterone want to throw sodium back into your blood? Because for some reason, water just loves hanging out with sodium. It does. I like to think you go to the pub, have a couple of chips. You're very thirsty after a couple of chips, right? So when you what's, eat salt... What's a chip? A chip, a crisp... Okay, well, I think you. we did this another episode where we had the whole chip crisp conversation. But when you drop, when you drop blood pressure and blood volume, and you throw sodium back into your blood, water will follow, therefore bumping up blood volume, bumping up blood pressure. So aldosterone, fat soluble, goes to the DCT or the collecting duct, okay, and it acts on these cells, the principal cells in this area, and it because it's fat soluble, it goes in straight into the cell goes and affects gene expression, particularly affecting um, sodium 
transporters, sodium potassium transporters. Yeah. And so, and so what that would do is allow a greater amount of sodium to get sucked out of your filtrate and then pushed into your blood. Cool. And then water follows. And then water follows. Bumping up blood volume, bumping up blood pressure. Yep. All right. Next thing that angiotensin 2 does is it actually travels to your hypothalamus, which is where, Matthew? Brain. Brain. And the hypothalamus is the master regulator for the endocrine system, right? And it controls the posterior pituitary gland. And the posterior pituitary gland, do you remember the two hormones that sit within the posterior pituitary? Uh, ADH. Which stands for? Antidiuretic hormone. What's diuresis? What's Urinating. Okay, what's anti? Against it. So antidiuretic hormone goes against peeing, so it stops you from peeing. So what's the other hormone? Puts a cork in it. You put a cork in it. What's the other hormone that's in the posterior Ooh, pituitary? It's, it doesn't pertain it, to what we're talking about here. It's more for females, I believe. Oh, really? I would not necessarily agree with that. No? No. It's just as important for males. Yeah. Tell me then. Oxytocin, my man. Okay, what does it do to males? Oxytocin plays a huge role in behavioral neuroscience. Does it? Neuroscience. People always call oxytocin the love molecule, and that's not true. It's the love-hate molecule. It doesn't just solidify friendships. My it solidifies enemies. My oxytocin is going up. Because you love me. Oh, hatred. Okay, so the ADH has been released from angiotensin 2 via the posterior pituitary gland. ADH, antidiuretic hormone, travels again. It's anti. Yep, goes travels back to the nephron. This time goes to the collecting duct. Antidiuretic hormone puts into the cells of the collecting duct things called aquaporins. What's aqua mean? Aquaman. <laughs> that means water. And what's porin mean? Holes. Holes. All right. So it puts water holes into these. Ooh, that would hurt. It puts water holes into these collecting ducts. What's ADH also called, Michael? Uh, ADH is also called vasopressin. Pressin. 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 Vasopressin. Yes. It also. Why? Well, it, it also helps vasoconstriction, I believe, in some areas. And because ultimately it's going to play with blood pressure. Yeah. So ADH is going to put these aquaporins, these little holes, into these cells of the collecting ducts. And that increases the amount of water that goes back into the body, which again increases blood volume and blood pressure. Yep. Similarly to aldosterone. But that's purely water, not That's salt. just water. Yeah. All right, last thing. Let's talk about the last thing about angiotensin 2. Like I said, it does so much stuff. Is it goes directly to the proximal convoluted tubule, right? And it tells the proximal convoluted tubule to, again, reabsorb more sodium into the body. And it actually exchanges this with hydrogen ions. Uh. So it's a sodium-hydrogen exchanger. Where's that at? Proximal convoluted tubule. Okay. So, the so I think you should recap it all. All right, but very quickly, right? One, angiotensin two, vasoconstricts. Two, efferent arterial. Generally. Generally. arterial vasoconstriction. Three, stimulates aldosterone to be released. Four, stimulates ADH to be released. Five, angiotensin two goes to the proximal convoluted tubule and exchanges sodium with hydrogen ions. So it does a lot of stuff. Huge amount of stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there's also some drugs that prevent this working. So you can have angiotensin two blockers or antagonists yeah. and, and so why would why would a patient take that again with hypertension too high blood pressure over time they might want to block this system because it does so much what if you were to block like you said so if you think about I, this I think you forgot one 
What did I forget? I think you've Angiotensin 2 also not yeah. only tells ADH to be released, but doesn't it also increase your thirst? Ah, stimulates thirst centers in the hypothalamus. Mm. Thirst control, which means it goes, drink some water, increase blood volume. Yeah. It does a lot of stuff, doesn't it? Mm. Now, this is important because this whole RAS system, ren- so we spoke about renin, spoke, spoke about angiotensin, spoke about aldosterone. You can block... Any aspect of this system, right? And it's going to reduce blood pressure. That makes sense, right? Now, some people who abuse, maybe unintentionally, these drugs to block blood pressure means that the kidneys, again, get a reduced blood volume going to it. And this can result in acute kidney injury, Mm. which I just did a video on on our YouTube channel, funnily enough, at Biological Sciences. AKI. AKI. Also, what was it? What did it used to be called? AKI. I think renal failure. Acute. Yeah, acute renal failure. So this is a pre-renal cause of acute kidney injury, in which you get hypoperfusion, reduced blood flow to the kidneys. Uh, yep. So overall, the stimulus is a drop in blood pressure, drop in blood volume, and the ultimate outcome was an increase in blood pressure, increased blood volume. You happy with that, Maddie? I think so. That was a pretty good run through of RAS. Yeah. We went into enough detail, don't you think? Again, everyone, if you have any questions, please ask us on Twitter, at GU Biosciences. Please follow us on Instagram, at GU Biosciences. Send me an email. Again, GU Biosciences at gmail.com. I'm Dr. Mike Todorovic. This is Dr. Matt Barton. Hello. And we love doing this. We done? That was RAS. That's RAS. At Renan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.